Well, uh, I want to introduce uh, Johnny Finlayson, who's uh, our last uh, guest preacher uh, before I come back uh, the next Sunday and start preaching. Uh, we saved the best for last, maybe. Or the last straw. You yeah. can decide yeah. uh, afterwards. And uh, Johnny, as many of you know, uh, served here as a, a pastoral intern uh, when he was fresh out of uh, seminary. Uh, he got ordained here at this church. Him and Lauren uh, lived here for a little over a year. And why don't you fill us in? Uh, where are you guys living now? Uh, yeah, we're in Seattle, and uh, we've been there since fall 2020. Great. Yeah. And uh, so we support you through our missions uh, giving uh, yeah. that you all uh, provide. What's, uh, what are you raising money for? So we are uh, church planting in Seattle, which means we're starting a, a new church there. Uh, right now we have a, a small uh, core of people and we're, we're looking to grow that um, bit by bit. And hopefully by next fall we'll be uh, worshiping every Sunday. Um, and until then, we're, we're, we're kind of with a, a bigger church that we serve at as well and, um, you know, hoping and working and praying towards a new church. Great. What's just, what do you like about ministry in Seattle? Um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a few things. Um, it, there's, there, I mean, there's not a lot of, of churches there. And so it's, we're, we're, really, like, we're really in this place where we have an opportunity to do something new and break new ground and um, serve people that, you know, maybe they've, they're not used to church at all. And it's kind of a, a project of um, reintroducing or introducing people for the first time to Christianity and showing them that maybe it's not the, the, the crazy niche thing that they read about online, but it's actually real people that love Jesus and that who Jesus has actually um, really had a positive impact on their lives. Um, and so whenever, whenever we get a chance to do that or see that happen, um, it's a really encouraging thing. Great. Yeah. And uh, maybe last question. Is coffee better in Seattle or in Utah? Well, to put it mildly, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd have to say coffee's better in Seattle. I mean, it's, it's, what, it's, it's what we're known for. You know, right, I, I, I don't think people move to Utah for the... I'll stop, co- I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop talk, talking. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. Well, we're really, really glad to have you here. Uh, we're glad to have Lauren, your family, which has grown uh, mm-hmm. since you left us. Glad to have you here and excited to have you uh, preach for us this morning. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, Pastor John. It's, it's great to be here and all of you. It's great to be here again. Uh, I see some familiar faces and some faces that uh, I don't think I've ever seen before, which is also really cool. And um, it's my privilege to bring the word to you. Um, and so without further ado, let's, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 10, the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And when you get there, uh, go to verse 46. And then we're going to read from verse 46 to the end of the chapter. Um, I, I first preached on this, this passage earlier this year, right before Easter. But then I realized as I was thinking about what to preach on coming out here that it also uh, has a lot of Christmas and Advent themes. So I sort of took the, the old sermon and made it more Advent-y, uh, which, is, which should also be uh, an extra large at Starbucks. An Adventy, um, but it's not. We, we can we can maybe make that change. But um, for now, let's let's consider 
Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. Um, the, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. But listen carefully, because this is the word of God. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, get on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, you created the light and you sent the Lord Jesus into the world to be the light of the world and we are walking in darkness and we need the light that you have sent. So give us eyes to see. Lord Jesus, Son of God, you are the light of the world that came into the world. You created the light as well and we need you to be able to see in our darkness. So give us your light. Holy Spirit, you created the light and you are at work in the world right now in this room in our hearts to help us see Jesus. So help us to see the light. And with that light shining clearly, would you show us now how to follow you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there any influential blind people in your life? Uh, for me, there's actually not that many. The, the, the closest that I came to an answer was this man. He was uh, my great-uncle Wallace, and I knew him when I was a little boy. He died when I was probably five or six, so I don't have very many memories of him. But I, I remember him fairly vividly uh, because he was a blind man, and he needed help getting around. I don't think he could see at all in his eyes. I can't remember what it was, some accident when he was a boy uh, that made him blind. So he needed help to get around. He never looked at you in, in, in the eye uh, when he was speaking to you. And so there was something different about him, something that didn't make sense to like five, four or five-year-old me. And I was always scared of this blind man. He was strange. He was different. He was not like me. I could not identify with him. He didn't make sense to me. And so I think in my shyness, I sort of just, I didn't really want anything to do with him. I, I avoided him whenever we were having family gatherings. I, I probably was maybe a little bit rude to him. Um, not openly, I just didn't have any interest in interacting with him. I, I, I didn't know it then, but I didn't think that a man like that could add anything to my life or help me see any perspective on the world that would help me. Now, uh, he, as I said, he passed away when I was young, and I remember 
hearing other people talk about him after he'd passed away, other relatives, other friends. And they always talked about how much fun they had talking with Uncle Wallace. Because there was this way that he had of, ironically, seeing the world that other people with sight did not have. This, this quirky sense of humor that he had, or just the way that he made sense of the world was helpful to, to learn from, helpful to see. People loved to hear him talk, loved to hear his stories. You see, they had what I didn't have as a little kid, a humble imagination to tap into this special wisdom and perception that a blind man had that those of us that could see didn't. And as this passage begins, we're in the midst of a crowd that also lacked, I think, much of this humble imagination to believe that a blind man could help them see. This crowd energized by Jesus' presence, he's a, he's a celebrity at this point in Mark's gospel, we're almost at this climactic moment where Jesus enters Jerusalem, we're almost there and the crowd knows it. And it's almost strange that Mark stops to tell this story. It's kind of like us heading towards Christmas, and we're almost there, and we're in the middle of Advent, and it's the season where we're waiting, we're anticipating. We're almost at this point where we're going to celebrate, and we have these traditions, this thing we do every year, and we know how to do it. We think we can see. We think we know what's coming. But we're actually close to missing the most important thing. And this morning, we actually need to have our focus set on darkness, for a little bit because there's a darkness in us that could actually have us missing the most important thing the most important light in christmas and bartimaeus is going to help us see he's going to help us see jesus and our task this morning and our task for the rest of advent hopefully is going to see what the blind man could see and specifically there's four things i want you to see first of all see your darkness See your darkness. Uh, second of all, see through your darkness. Third, be seen in your darkness. And fourth, walk in the light. So see your darkness, see through your darkness, be seen in your darkness, and walk in the light. First of all, uh, seeing your darkness. Uh, this passage is about Jesus bringing light to a man living in darkness. It's about a healing, healing a blind man. But it's also about the, the faith, which is the spiritual vision that this blind man has. What he could see in Jesus because he was blind that no one else who could see with their eyes could see. Especially, ironically, Jesus' closest followers. You see, Mark, uh, as well as Matthew and Luke, uh, put this passage right in front of Jesus entering Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, we say. This is an important part in each of the places of the story, uh, of, of, of the gospel stories that are told. And they also, each of those gospel writers, put this right after this other event that happens. This is intentional storytelling. And what's that other event? I think it's, it's, it's meant to be a contrast and, and for us, in, in Mark's gospel, you can rewind if you have your Bible open to verse 35, and you'll, you'll see there, James and John, two of the disciples, they go to Jesus with something of a selfish agenda. They're, they're cleverly going to Jesus, and they get to the point where Jesus asks them, what do you want me to do for you? They, they, they have something they want to ask Jesus. And so he asks them this question. 
What do you want me to do for you? And if you keep reading, uh, they say this, grant us to sit as right-hand men in your kingdom. When you receive your glory, Jesus, put us right next to you. That's where we belong, Jesus. Now, pause for a moment and think about the assumptions that go into that answer to that question. Okay, Jesus is offering and he is able to give them whatever they want and they're thinking about how Jesus can exalt them. Uh, Jesus is building a kingdom to bring a new creation and life to the world and they're thinking about how they can get more out of that, how they maybe even could help Jesus in a way that he needs them. Like, you know, Jesus, uh, when you get the glory of your kingdom, put us as your right-hand men, because there are going to be times where you're tired or you're hungry or you need to go take a nap, or maybe you need to go on vacation. And when that happens, you need some able people in charge. So put us in charge, and maybe it'll even be in a better spot when you get back. We, we, we belong there. We belong there. And if that's what they're assuming, what's absent from that assumption? Absent is any inclination that they might actually need to change. That Jesus may actually need to save them from something. That they might need to grow in order to deserve any kind of place of glory. I think they actually assume that Christ's kingdom would be better if they had more glory and honor. This is an astounding unself-awareness. This is darkness. This is blindness. So how do you answer that question from Jesus? Uh, Jesus comes to us this morning and in a lot of ways asks, what can I do for you? And if your answer is something along the lines of, well, I'm pretty good. Give me more of what I have already. Give me what I want. There's this thing that I want. There's this situation, this relationship, Jesus, that I need in order to reach my full potential. It's going to help you. It's going to help me. That'd be pretty great. So why don't you give me that? And, 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 we'll, and we'll call that a prayer. If that is your only answer, if that's your main answer, you might be blind. You might be walking in darkness. If your hopes for the end of this year and the beginning of the next one is about having the things around you change so that your life could be better in some way, there might be some darkness that needs to be dealt with. If you're looking for honor, to be recognized for your greatness, if, 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 if I'm here right now looking for Jesus to honor me, then I'm blind and we're all blind. And we tend to go to God asking him to fill up what is lacking around us, not to fill up and fix what's broken in us. And what does that do? Ironically, and we see it in this passage when people start interacting with Bartimaeus, that, that makes us blind, not just to ourselves, but to the suffering of other people. Uh, th this became very real for me. Actually, the day before I first preached on this passage a few months ago, I was uh, going to Whole Foods just to pick up a couple things, and uh, there was this woman uh, outside with a sign saying that she needed help with something. Uh, I didn't take the time to read the sign, but I had a couple minutes, so I approached her and asked her, hey, my name is Johnny, how, you know, how can I help you? And she, she explained that she, uh, her name is Maria, and she has a son, Eli, and 
she needs help to get this special kind of baby formula that her son needs, uh, but she can't afford it because she lost her job, and I figured I would, I would try to help her. So I went in, in, and among the things that I bought, I bought some uh, baby formula for her, and I was able to help her, and I gave it to her, and uh, prayed for her afterwards, and, and went home. And it, it, was, it was a great honor to be able to help this woman, but as I was driving home, I realized, you know what, I, I think I did the right thing, but at the same time, I did it all wrong. Because the way I was conceiving of it in my mind is that I'm up here on this pedestal where I have a job. I have kids that don't have dietary, special dietary needs. I'm not begging outside of Whole Foods. And here's this woman down here. She needs me to come down to her. The way that I should have seen it is that me and Maria are on the same playing field. Because what is the difference between me and Maria? Is it because I'm better than her inherently? No. It's grace. It's God's grace. Is there anything in me that has put me in my situation that in some ways are better than her? No. But we can assume that when we see other people who are suffering. That's what these people in the crowd did to Bartimaeus. That's what we do. That's what the disciples do. But the first thing we learn from Bartimaeus is that he has not constructed an identity around the reasons and the, and the ways that he is better than everyone else. He's constructed an identity that realizes that he is walking in darkness and he needs the light. That he has no access to it in and of himself and he needs light. And so the first thing we learn from him is it's very healthy to have an awareness of the ways that you are broken and the things that in you need to be fixed. And like Bartimaeus, that's the first step in the direction of the light. See your darkness. Secondly, we need to see through our darkness. And what that means is that we need to have faith in Jesus. Faith means seeing through your darkness. It's one thing to know that you are walking in darkness. It's another thing to know where light might come from when you believe that there is something outside of you and your experience that can give you light and life and healing and transform you, and when you know, when you hear, when you have that spark of faith that, that the source of light and life is up the road and coming your way, and when you act in accordance with that, that's faith. And that's what we see here in Bartimaeus. You see, the crowd is buzzing. And Bartimaeus hears that the reason why the crowd is buzzing is that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is in the crowd and coming towards him. And at this point, we see something absolutely amazing. And it's Bartimaeus' faith. You see, there's almost zero chance that Bartimaeus has heard anything from Jesus' lips firsthand. He has only heard second or third or fourth hand stories about Jesus. Maybe it's like broken telephone. They're only partial stories. But he has heard enough to believe that from this man, Jesus, he can receive the mercy of God. And he put, puts his entire being behind that. He starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, th this title that he gives, Jesus, son of David, there's, there's a lot of like Old Testament background behind that. He's basically saying that Jesus 
is this long-lost king of Israel, the, the, the descendant of David, who is the greatest king that Israel has ever had up to this point, basically making Jesus the equivalent to the Messiah, to the Christ, God's chosen king for the world, and he's saying, Jesus, king of the world, have mercy on me. And you see, there's almost no one else right now who's calling Jesus that. They're saying, you're a great teacher, uh, you're, you're a respected man, but... You, not quite ready to call you king, but Bartimaeus, he's, he, he, this is the first time he's meeting Jesus and he's calling him the king of the world. And he's saying, have mercy on me because only you can. What does that mean? This is what's so amazing about Bartimaeus. He's blind, but he's the only one in the crowd that can see Jesus. Everyone else who claims to be with Jesus, be behind Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, they're only kind of seeing Jesus. But Bartimaeus sees him and sees him correctly. Now, what does that do? Uh, it, especially with Bartimaeus' actions, it, it, it makes him isolated from, from the others. The others don't understand. We see this in how the crowd responds to Bartimaeus' cries for help. He's like a fly in the ointment for everyone else. They're there following Jesus' coattails into a better life. They're, they're, they're here not, not for uh, pity and weakness. They're here for power and strength and glory. Plus, the cultural convention of the time is that when a respected rabbi is coming your way, you don't stop them, you don't interrupt them. You don't keep them from going where they're going, especially if they have something important to do, and especially if you're the blind beggar in the room. Your job is to stay in the corner and shut up. Bartimaeus doesn't do that. The crowd tries to shut him up. They say, hey, blind guy, Jesus is not here for you. He's important. You know, and, and it kind of makes me think about the people around us that we see that have obvious weakness, maybe obvious sinfulness in their life. And maybe we have a gut response to them the way that the crowd has to Bartimaeus. It's like, ooh, uh, we don't need to hear your voice right now. You, you, you should just stay in the background. Jesus isn't here for you. Uh, in, in North Seattle, there's this street that runs north-south. It's called Aurora Avenue. And for whatever reason, it's this place where uh, homelessness and crime and prostitution and uh, a lot of sort of the underbelly of life has just gravitated, and it's kind of all there. Uh, it, it's, it's, the, it's the kind of street where if you're driving down, you lock your doors when you get to a red light. And if you get half a block off of it, either east or west, you get right back into upper middle class, comfortable Seattle, six or seven figure uh, lifestyles. But when you're on Aurora Ave, it's like you're, you've entered a different world. And so many people uh, in, in my city do this thing where we, we drive past or we, drive, we use it to get to work or to get to the, the store or wherever on our commute, and we pass by all of this brokenness. And we, and, and, and we see it as something that is outside of ourselves, outside of our experience, and you know, not, not something worth touching. We don't want to go there. We assume that these people are unsafe, they're unmentionables. And for, when Christians do that, uh, it, it's almost communicating that th those people are beyond help. They need to lift themselves up before they could ever be helped. But I don't think that's true. Bartimaeus shows us that that's not true. 
that maybe those people that we see that are really far from Jesus are actually just as close as we are. When Bartimaeus knows how weak he is, how sinful he is, how, how in darkness he is, what does he do? He leans into his experience, his weakness, and he's even willing more and more to cry out to Jesus, to the Son of David, to God's King for mercy. This is not a poetic or shrewd or subtle move. This is a poor blind man who smells, who hasn't shaved or bathed in days, weeks, maybe months. And he's crying out at the top of his lungs for a local celebrity to notice him. And everyone else sees it as ugliness. But how does God see it? How does God see it? When it's motivated by faith, God sees that as beautiful. God sees that as beautiful. It it actually reminds me of um, the, the moment right after... My son Liam was born. He's nine months old right now. So nine months ago, when he was born, uh, for, for those of you that have had kids, maybe you can resonate with this. He, he, he comes out and he, the first thing he does when he catches his first breath is he cries. And what's behind that cry? What assumptions are going into that cry? Right? I, I mean, he, he doesn't even know. He's hungry. He's tired. He's cold. He's covered in his own afterbirth, and he doesn't know, he doesn't even know what help he needs. He just knows he needs a whole bunch of help. And if, if you were to look at that coldly and objectively, you might even say that's kind of ugly. But if you are the father in the room, uh, that's beautiful. Because your son is alive, and your son knows what he needs. Can we have a humble imagination this morning to believe that God the Father, when he hears us cry out to him through Christ like that, he doesn't have a cold objectivity that says, ooh, that's ugly. That he's drawn to help. That's what the Father is like. And actually, that's the message of Christmas, isn't it? That Jesus Christ coming into the world amazingly, as an infant child, to grow up to be this man who lives a perfect life and dies for sin and rises again to give us life, that that is the Father's move to give help to us when we cry for help in faith. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, 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 and what gets in our way from crying to God like that? It's the darkness in us that says we don't need to do that or that we're above that. But maybe if we're in darkness, it's also a lack of faith, a a hopelessness that says there is no hope for us. But there is because of what the Father has done by giving Christ. That leads us to our third point, being seen in the darkness. And really that's what happens to Bartimaeus when Jesus comes in earshot of his cries for help. Uh, Remember how the bystanders were trying to push this blind man back down into his place that he doesn't deserve to see Jesus? What does Jesus do? You see, there's this magnitude of Jesus' actions. In a subtle way, he absolutely transforms the scene and everyone in it. When Jesus hears Bartimaeus, he stops. 
Remember what he's doing. He's on his way to Jerusalem, the most important man doing the most important thing that anyone has ever done, but he hears Bartimaeus and he stops. And the crowd is shocked. Like, why did he stop? And there's this silence that comes over the scene. It's a tense silence for those few minutes in between Jesus stopping and speaking. And if you're Bartimaeus in that scene, you're sitting there like, is it something that I said? What's going on? He can't see and he doesn't know. But then Jesus, carrying in him a voice that's different from the others, more authoritative, but also kind, says, call him. Jesus wants to speak with the blind man. And the crowd is shocked, but they're, they're changed by Jesus' startling decision. And they get Bartimaeus up, and they show him the way to go to Jesus. And Bartimaeus, this blind man, uh, he, he gets up, and he throws off his cloak, and he's excited, and he shuffles his way towards Jesus. And you're meant to notice at this point the difference between Bartimaeus and the disciples. There's this amazing scene now. The the climax of the narrative, Jesus, the Son of God, standing face to face with a blind beggar. And Jesus has created this space where Bartimaeus can now interact with him. (laughs) And I love how this goes. It's so perfect because Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this, he asks the exact same question that he asked the disciples when they came to him. What do you want me to do for you? And you're meant to notice the difference in Bartimaeus' answer. It's it's not some uh, pre-planned out thing where he is trying to get every ounce of anything from Jesus that he can get. He's just coming fully open and honest with who he is, with his brokenness, his blindness, all of his need to Jesus Every assumption is that he is blind and needs help and that only Jesus can help him. But also, I think he's been transformed even more by this experience of being seen by Jesus. This man that has given him time, that has made a space for him to come to him, and now, not, just, not only does he want to see, he wants to see this man. He wants to see Jesus. Why else would he ask for the impossible? He asks for the impossible. He says, let me recover my sight. He's never asked this of anyone before. He says, Jesus, let me recover my sight. I want to see. I want to see. This is a beautiful picture, a transformed man. Jesus, by his grace, by his kindness and his compassion, has turned this man into a masterpiece. What if we all let Advent and Christmas be a season where we come to Jesus like that? What if we came to Jesus and said, Lord, I have this sin that I can't fix myself. I need you to forgive me Help me to overcome it. Lord, I have this pain in my life. Chronic pain, relational pain. And I can't do anything with it. I need you to comfort me. Lord, I am lonely. It's like no one sees me. No one knows me. No one understands me. I need you to comfort me and be with me. You know, what what keeps us from this kind of prayer life, this kind of faith? 
I think we, we often feel like what keeps us from having these transformative spiritual moments with Jesus is that we, we don't have a strong enough faith. We're not strong enough, but that's actually not true. What is the secret to Bartimaeus' faith? He knows how weak he is. He knows how much he needs Jesus. If I woke up tomorrow morning and realized how much I needed Jesus, I would be just like him. But it's on those mornings that I wake up and I feel like, oh, I'm kind of okay, that I don't do this. But what if Christmas was this time where we saw our need for the light and then everything about it would just fit hand in glove because of our great need and what God did to provide for it. And that leads us to the, the last point, walking in the light. Walking in the light. You know, I think even if Bartimaeus was not healed from his blindness at this point, this would still be a life-changing, transformative experience for him, where he was seen by Jesus, he exercised this amazing, amazing faith, and Jesus showed him compassion that changed him. Um, but of course, Bartimaeus is healed in, in this amazing way, and in typical uh, gospel narrative fashion, uh, the emphasis is not on the dramatic healing, although I'm sure it was absolutely amazing to witness uh, Mark kind of keeps us in the dark as far as the details are concerned. We're just told that he is healed. And we don't have vivid detail on what it looked like for Jesus to be healed from his blindness. We don't even know what the blindness was caused by. We don't know what needed to be fixed, what that looked like. We just have a record of basically what was said between the two. Um, Jesus uses a common phrase that he uses in other healings. He says, your faith has made you well. But then right before that, he says, go. Uh, another, another way to read that is Jesus says, go your way, which is an interesting little twist, an interesting subtle invitation that Jesus gives Bartimaeus. Uh, go your way. What has Bartimaeus's way been so far? Well, it's been begging at the side of the road because he's blind and he needs that. Well, with eyesight restored, that old way of life becomes obsolete, doesn't it? And so what does Bartimaeus do when he receives his sight? Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road or along the way. The, the subtle invitation that Jesus gives Bartimaeus is that you can follow me now. That's actually why I'm giving you sight in the first place. And Bartimaeus gets it. It's immediate. It's this instant response. He doesn't have to do what he was doing before. And because all he's ever wanted is fulfilled in this one man, and now he has the opportunity in seeing Jesus to see the light of life, all he wants to do is follow Jesus for the rest of his days. You know, there's some healings in these gospel narratives where uh, you kind of get the sense that, you know, the person that's healed is thankful for the gift of having new legs, you know, their arm works, their degenerative disease is fixed, their terrible flesh-eating disease is gone, and now they say, thanks, guy, that was a great healing, have a great life, I'm just going to go my way now. But Bartimaeus gets it. His faith remains intact. His eyes are perfectly working properly, especially his spiritual eyes. It's like the optic nerve between his, his heart and everything he does is fixed. Because all he wants to do now is follow Jesus. 
And so he promptly gets behind Jesus and the crowd, and they all go up the road to Jerusalem. And we don't hear from Bartimaeus again. Uh, he, he just becomes another one of the many disciples that follow Jesus, and uh, we can only assume that he, that, that he saw something of what happened over that next week. Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus being arrested and betrayed. Jesus being tortured and killed. And then Jesus rising from the dead. The amazing thing about that, though, is that what did Jesus just do before that happened? He gave him new eyes. These are some of the first things that Bartimaeus ever saw. And it, it's, it's a little bit speculative, but I think it's really cool when we think about exactly why that happened. So something we know about Mark, this gospel writer, is that he, he remained in Jerusalem after the resurrection. And he was a figure in the early church there. And probably Bartimaeus had roots in that local area, so he also probably stayed close by. And there's an interesting, interesting thing about Bartimaeus. In Mark's gospel, of all the people that are healed, Bartimaeus is the only one who's named. Bartimaeus is the only person healed by Jesus that Mark writes about that we know his name. Why? I think that's because Mark wants people who originally read his gospel to hear about Bartimaeus so that they can go to Bartimaeus and ask him about what Jesus did for him. So that they can go to Bartimaeus and ask, Bartimaeus, what was it like to receive your sight? And imagine the way that Bartimaeus would tell the story. How he noticed every single detail, because this is the first week in which he's able to use his eyes and he's watching Jesus do the most important thing he's ever done. That's why Jesus stopped on the road to deal with this man and help him receive his sight so that he could have his weakness transformed, his darkness transformed into light, so that he could spend the rest of his life telling the world about him. And that's why Jesus transforms our weakness too. That's why Jesus transforms our weakness too. That's what he does with our weakness. That's why he came to save you. That's his master plan in seeing you, in knowing where you're at, knowing what you're struggling with, and coming to comfort you, coming to challenge you, coming to be with you, drawing near to you so that you can get up and serve him. Advent can be this time where we assume the place of the beggar at the side of the road, waiting with bated breath for the light to come. And then when it shows up, though we may be blind and shamed, we may feel oppressed and guilty and hungry, when the light comes, we know that he has come for us. Because Jesus came. The Messiah is here. So as you prepare your heart to see him, learn from this man. This is the best way to see him. And if you were living in the first century, and you had the opportunity, and you read Mark's gospel or heard it read to you, and you wanted to go to Bartimaeus, and you asked him, what was it like to see Jesus? And he told the story. And then you asked him, Bartimaeus, how, how can I see Jesus like that? Taking a poetic liberty, maybe he would say something like this. Well, first you've got to see your darkness. You've got to see that there is darkness in you that you can't heal or help or save on your own. 
But that's not the whole story. You need to see through your darkness to see that Jesus is the one sent from God and that he can give you the mercy of God. And that when you respond to him in that, you will be seen in your darkness by Christ, by a God that loves you, that came for you. And the reason why he does that is so that you can get up and walk in the light. Let's do that. Amen. Our God, this light that you have given us in your Son is uh, in some ways so overwhelming, uh, so glorious, so amazing. But we thank you that you have sent that light in Christ for us and to lead us, to help us, to save us, to give us new eyes to see. And so we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to see Christ. We pray that we would truly believe that he was sent for us and that we would respond accordingly. May we do that throughout the rest of this worship service, throughout the rest of this day, throughout the rest of this season of Advent and on into a new year. May we walk in your light. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.